This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program, which I, I think represents about the midway point of the winter quarter. I confess to not being exactly in sync with the academic calendar. But we mention this because winter quarter is going to be our last quarter of broadcasting here on KDVS. So after today, we're going to give you four or five more shows, and we're going to do our best to make them good ones. It's been a wonderful run for almost 14 years here on the station, and we do plan to continue doing podcasts at radioparallax.com. And because our friends up in Chico did not hear the original broadcasts of numerous programs that went out over the airwaves here in the greater Davis slash Sacramento area, we're going to try and extend matters up there for another month or two. It is sort of funny looking through some of my emails from last year. I noted some exchanges from listeners talking about going off the air because we've been talking about this for a while. And frankly, a few months ago, yours truly was overwhelmed with activities in his personal life involving, well, tons of business stuff, which I will not bore you with. We do want to note that today's show is number 713, and we will do our best to make sure that most of those are going to be available to you, dear listeners. It stands right now the first 40-something shows are not up, but we're going to correct that. We were hoping to talk about the business of Wall Street on today's program, but our consultant on that is ill and not available this week, so we're going to put that off a week again. Likewise, Mr. McMillan is still resolving his Zika virus infestation <laughs> from his trip to the Caribbean and will uh, will not be filling us in on some of the activities he took place in down there, at least not today. Actually, I'm just kidding about the Zika virus, but it does appear that his hat size has shrunk considerably in the last week or two. Oh. I do hope that some of you were tuned in at 9.30 a.m. on the 14th to NBC as NBC Sports put on an hour documentary about the 1936 Berlin Olympics and included some great footage and background story from John Lysak, our guest on last week's show. Anyway, if you didn't get a chance to see that documentary, I hope you'll find a way to do so. It was good. Although I think Radio Parallax does have one up on NBC and we did not make the error that they made in describing John's being placed in an orphanage as being abandoned by his father. In his discussion with us, John explained that um, his father had lost John's mother when he was only four, and there were four mouths to feed, causing him to have to work full-time. The children were placed in an orphanage temporarily, but he was able to later get them out. And as John explained to us so well, uh, the experience in the orphanage uh, was, in many ways, a positive one. And at the close of this uh, first segment today, I think I'll try and... Uh, Mention a few of the misconceptions that still surround the Berlin Olympics and Jesse Owens' participation, etc. Since last week's program, there have been some momentous developments. We advertise this program as being about current events, politics, science, technology, history, satire, whenever we damn well please. I guess we had history covered with uh, the matter of John and the Berlin Olympics. But if you believe the headlines, there's been some epic news in the world of science with the confirmation of Einstein's long-predicted gravitational waves. This is, to be sure, an interesting topic, and its impact on our personal lives is certain to be close to zero. 
Unless, my dear listener, your, your job involves pondering the space-time continuum in the vicinity of the event horizons of black holes. And if this does describe any of you out there, please drop us a line at info at Radio Parallax and tell us what you thought about this breakthrough of sorts development. And you know what? I don't, I don't want to telegraph all the things we're going to talk about. We'll get to them in due time. Let's start the show as we like to do with On This Date in History. Our date today is the 18th of February. And it was on this date in 1519, the Spanish conquistador Hernán Cortés set sail from Mexico with 508 soldiers, 100 sailors, and 16 horses. During the next two years, Cortés would overthrow the Aztec Empire. One of his greatest allies in this bloody endeavor was a weapon of mass destruction, however unintended. The Europeans evidently brought smallpox and other diseases with them, which decimated the Aztec population. I guess in the conquistador business, it's better to be lucky than good. And these men were definitely not good. On February 18th in 1885, Mark Twain published The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, a book that no less than authority than Ernest Hemingway said marked the beginning of American literature. It is the great American novel in this correspondence humble opinion, which causes him to have very little patience with those out there in their, who, in their political correctness, wish to see it pulled from libraries. Yes, it is true that the word nigger appears in the text, just as it does on a regular basis on black entertainment television, not to mention Alex Haley's roots, and for that matter, a substantial portion of America's great black literature. And this might be a good time to point out, as we like to do on every program, that any opinions you hear on this show do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. And it was on February 18th in the year 1967 that Robert Oppenheimer, the American physicist who headed the quest for the atomic bomb, died in Princeton, New Jersey at age 62. This item disturbs me for several reasons. The first being that, much to my amazement, I reached that age. The second is that Oppenheimer got screwed by right-wing forces in this country in the 1950s. Because he was a genius on so many levels, he, and probably he alone, could have led the Manhattan Project to a successful conclusion. But having done so, he made an effort to rein in his creation. Of course, as Richard Nixon's chief of staff, H.R. Haldeman, once said, once the toothpaste is out of the tube, it's really hard to get it back in. And so it was with that nuclear genie loosed from his lamp, as it were. For our quote of the day, we're going to go with Robert Oppenheimer, who once said, No man should escape our universities without knowing how little he knows. Our quote of the day comes from columnist Florence King, who said, Pretending to be humorous is easy, and a great many people are doing it. Which leads me to our joke of the day, which is admittedly an exceptionally weak one. But the rumor is that Carly Fiorina had to withdraw from the Republican presidential race for health reasons. Evidently, she has contracted a case of mad cow disease. This correspondent was rather amused to note that the use of that joke while subbing another public affairs program about a decade ago was evidently even more rankling than we reckoned on. I believe the original joke was along the lines of, why is it they call it PMS, comma, 
dot, dot, dot. Well, because mad cow disease was taken. And now we will grant, as jokes go in this program, that one kind of stinks. But I like to go ahead with it because I thought it might rattle some cages that, frankly, could stand to have a little rattling. We've been fairly merciless on this program for the last 14 years in going after the conservative elements of this country and internationally, poking fun at them right and left. So we figured it was okay to go with just a spot of levity that might prove just slightly irritating to those of the progressive and liberal bent. Actually, that is such a crappy joke. We're going to have to upgrade and do a better one. All right, let's go with this from Gary Shandling. I once made love for an hour and 15 minutes, but it was the night the clocks are set ahead. So I think we now have offended both sexes, right, Mr. McMillan? I believe so. All right. And we're still at the top of the show. Our stat of the day is that apparently Red Lobster saw its sales surge 33% on Super Bowl Sunday over the previous year's game day after Beyonce's hit single Formation, which was released the day before, featured a sexually charged lyric about the seafood chain. And yes, we're doing what we can to see if we can introduce a sexually charged lyric from Beyonce about Radio Parallax. For our anecdote of the week, we have this. Evidently, Paul McCartney tried to attend a couple of Grammy parties. And apparently the bouncers at a couple of these events being hosted by rap stars turned him away. Apparently, after failing to impress security twice, Sir Paul quipped, How VIP do we got to get? Adding, we need another hit. We suspect this incident must have involved a bit of ageism, don't you? In case you're keeping score, Paul McCartney is 73. And I noticed that when looking that up, there was a list of Paul's hit songs, including Say, Say, Say. And I frankly cannot resist interjecting at this point, Joan Rivers' crack, which was that the first time I heard that song, Say, 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 I thought it was Foster Brooks trying to sing the national anthem. And for those who don't remember Foster Brooks, he got quite a bit of comedy mileage over the fact that he stuttered. All right, final thing, good news. We've been sitting on this one for a while. We're looking at a study done in New Zealand, starting with people at age 26. They did a biological evaluation of them 12 years later when they were all 38-year-olds. This in effort to determine their, quote, biological age, unquote. The study leader, and I guess this was conducted actually out of Duke University, noted that uh, some of the subject, subjects aged physiologically not at all. So the good news here is that apparently premature aging may be preventable. Genetics accounts for about 20% of the way people grow older. But researchers say environment and lifestyle factors like exercise, diet, stress, smoking, etc. play a much larger role. So there you have it. If you smoke, stop. If you don't exercise, start. If you're being stressed out, do what you can to minimize it. And when it comes to diet, we just have a one-word answer. Kale. Actually, I think they may be overselling kale just a bit, although I did grow up with Portuguese kale soup, and it's pretty good. But when it comes to diet, it appears we're all eating too much sugar, probably too much fat, and probably too much red meat, and probably not enough fruits and vegetables. At least that's most of us. 
All right, let's do a bit of follow-up. We enjoyed very much our talk a couple years back with Dr. Ivan Schwab from the Department of Ophthalmology here at UC Davis. Dr. Schwab did an analysis of the visual apparatus of basically every life form you can find it in, it seems. Since he published that most curious book, Evolution's Witness, there have been a couple of additions. It was publicized last fall that apparently the West Indian fuzzy chitin, a small marine mollusk, evidently has rock-hard eyes which are embedded in its shell. And by God, even though uh, they're not made of proteins, but rather aragonite mineral, they work like our eyes do. The mineral lenses focus light on the animal's retina, which is covered in photoreceptors. The difference is they're embedded in rock, and the lens itself is made out of rock. Wow. Apparently, researchers at Harvard were curious as to what the world might look like to a chitin, so they popped the lenses out of the shell and put them in a microscope to try and focus images of a predator fish. They found out that the mineral lenses have pretty good resolution, but each eye is so tiny that there are only about 100 cells in those retinas. So each retinal cell acts kind of like a pixel on a computer screen. Thus, the mollusk would see an extremely pixelated image with each of its eyes, pretty much just kind of a blob. But scientists note that an indistinct blob is enough of a warning for chitons because all they need to do then is clamp down on the rock and hold on for dear life. And it would seem that the smallest eyes in the, the biological world have now been discovered in bacteria. The organism in question, Synecocystis, belongs to a group called the cyanobacteria, which, like plants, can photosynthesize. Known for well over a century that cyanobacteria are phototactic, meaning they can orient in the direction of and travel toward light sources. Researchers in Germany set out to find out how the bacteria, which are as simple as life gets, could possibly do this. They suspected that pigmented structures inside the bacterial cells were acting as shades, meaning that the illuminated side of a cell would get more light than the far side, which would tell the bacteria in which direction to travel. But it turns out that's not the case. They found out that, in fact, the side of the cell opposite the light source actually lights up like a glass bead. Turns out the entire bacterial cell acts as a lens and focuses light on the point of the cell wall furthest from the source. From this image thus formed, although by a mechanism as yet unelucidated, the bacteria can thus work out which direction the life-sustaining light is coming from and travel towards it. Bacteria. Bacteria. Look, there's bacteria. 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 You might not see them, but they're there. Bacteria. Bacteria. Everything you touch. Bacteria. Although this doesn't exactly constitute follow-up per se, we would like to cite uh, the fact that our good pal Gary Chu enjoys reviewing movies. Given that he acts in this capacity, he receives regular invitations to attend screenings, and so it was that this correspondent last week went with Mr. Chu to see a special advanced screening of Hail Caesar from the Coen brothers. Now, I had high hopes for this uh, picture because sometimes the Coen brothers do manage to hit home runs. Mr. Marvillan thinks The Big Lebowski is one of the greatest comedies ever. I think Intolerable Cruelty is one of the greatest comedies ever. I think it's fair to say that when they're on, they're on. Unfortunately, in the case of Hail Caesar, they're not so on. Oh, it's got its moments, and it's got a hell of a cast. But I can't honestly suggest that you rush out to see this one. By the way, Gary's currently got a gig working over at uh, 
at uh, our sister station, as it were, K-Dirt, here in Davis. We think very well of the efforts of Jeff Shaw and others over there at their low-power station to continue producing some uh, fine-quality material with a shoestring budget. In fact, for a good while, this program was aired over on K-Dirt. So I think I'll bug Gary in the weeks and months to come to see if we can't uh, make an appearance over there on his program. Wouldn't that be fun? All right, let's jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to the Week magazine, it was a good week last week for Russia's morality police. After stories about the unexpected close friendship between a male goat and the male tiger that was meant to eat him at a zoo near Vladivostok, prompted a prosecutor to investigate whether the media was trying to provoke, quote, interest in non-traditional sexual relations, unquote, and turn children gay. And yes, we are as unclear as you as to how it could be that an unexpected friendship between a goat and a tiger could turn children gay. But hey, maybe the prosecutors in Vladivostok just don't have enough to do. And dovetailing with that item, we would note that it was a bad week last week for finding one's role in life with the news that a Norwegian woman believes that she was born into the wrong species and is in fact a cat trapped in a human's body. Reportedly, the 20-year-old known as Nano realized that she was a feline four years ago and has since taken to padding around her house on her hands and knees while wearing a fake cat's tail, ears, and pair of pink, fluffy paws. Evidently, she frequently meows and claims she has a feline ability to see in the dark, as well as a cat's loathing of water and dogs. Nano was quoted as saying, My psychologist told me I can grow out of it, but... I doubt it. And it was evidently an ugly week last week for dropping anchor. After the anchor chain on a luxury yacht owned by Microsoft co-founder Paul Allen accidentally destroyed a large swath of protected coral reef near the Cayman Islands. Allen, a conservationist, in addition to being a multi-billionaire, is facing up to $600,000 in fines. And finally, it was a good week, or is it a bad week? We're not sure. For honesty, after Carolina Panthers quarterback Cam Newton explained why he walked out of a post-Super Bowl press conference after his team lost the Denver Broncos. Newton said, I'm a sore loser. Who likes to lose? You know what this would be? It'd be a good time to hear from America's foremost political comic. Hey guys, Will Durst here with a few choice words about New Hampshire, which is as different from Iowa as the Himalayan mountains are from jack-in-the-box seasoned curly fries. Well, the Hawkeye State focuses on winners, just eight days later, the New Hampshire primary is all about the losing. And to say there was plenty of that going around is like insinuating that New Orleans on Mardi Gras bustles. In fact, the Granite State was strewn with loser debris so deep you needed galoshes to keep from stepping in the gooey remains of all the various presidential campaign meltdowns. 
More losers than the Carolina Panthers blue and silver rooting section at the Caesars Palace Sports Bar. Carly Fiorina was such a huge loser, she up and quit. You could say her campaign was aborted. And she has video of it kicking and screaming, which she'll sell to you. Chris Christie also waddled down the walk of shame because, as Vince Lombardi famously told us, quitters never win and winners never quit. And head cheese is much better when broken into its component parts than taken as a whole. But Governor Christie was also a winner for completing his self-appointed task of writing Marco Rubio right into the wall. Let us dispense with this fiction that Marco Rubio was not a big loser. Or to put it another way, let us dispense with this fiction that Marco Rubio was not a big loser. Or to put it another way, let us dispense with this fiction that Marco Rubio... You get the idea. John Kasich came in second, which, alas, makes him a medium-sized loser because now he has to go to South Carolina. But the biggest loser of all was Bernie Sanders, because even though he crushed Hillary Clinton by 22 points, she will probably end up with the same exact number of delegates from New Hampshire. They don't call it the establishment for nothing, Senator Sanders. Who's feeling the burn now? For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. Let us dispense with this fiction that Marco Rubio... You get the idea. As he has said many times, Mr. Durst provides comedy for those who read or know someone who does. All right, let's take a short break and then come back and talk about both science and politics. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax. Radio Parallax.